0: Welcome to Hanchuk Targets History. I'm your host, Tim Hanchuk. Thanks for joining me this episode. You know, I've been teaching high school history for way too many years, and I love talking about this stuff. So let me share with you some interesting, unique, and little known historical events. I know you'll be entertained, and if you're not careful, you just might learn something too. So, let's lock and load and take a shot at that target of history and see what we can hit. Let's head downrange and see what the target shows us. Hey, it looks like we hit on the American Revolution, specifically the Culper Ring. What's the Culper Ring, you ask? It was a spy network for the Americans that provided George Washington with a ton of highly important intelligence. Now, when I just said spy, I bet that most of you immediately thought of the Cold War and James Bond types running around exotic cities. Or maybe you even pictured spies behind enemy lines in either of the world wars. But I'm sure that if you stop to think for a second, you already knew that spying and intelligence gathering has gone on throughout human history. And it will prove to be one of the key factors in the Americans winning their war of independence from Britain. Let's face it, during the revolution, Washington's army was very much under. Under man, under trained, and under supplied. (laughs) Even when the French entered and provided a considerable amount of help, Washington still faced many challenges. To even the playing field, he relied very heavily on spies, whose intel allowed him to make some of the bold decisions needed to turn the tide of the war to an American victory. As a matter of fact, according to the CIA, and they know a little bit about spying, Washington was more deeply involved in intelligence operations than any American General-in-Chief until Dwight Eisenhower during World War II. Washington had learned the value of on-the-ground intel as a young officer fighting in the French and Indian War. He saw time and time again how information from Native Americans and deserting French soldiers proved to be the difference between success and failure. So when the Second Continental Congress made him Commander-in-Chief of the Continental Army, he appointed Thomas Knowlton to set up his army's first spy unit. This group, called Knowlton's Rangers, was used to scout British advance positions and provided Washington with crucial intel, allowing him to win the Battle of Harlem Heights in 1776. Unfortunately, Knowlton himself was killed in a skirmish that had developed as he and his Rangers were out scouting. Now, having a unit attached to the army for scouting and spying on enemy positions is of course important. But old George wanted even deeper information, the kind that could only be gathered from undercover agents operating behind enemy lines. In the spring of 1776, Washington drove the British out of Boston. But that July, the British landed troops in New York. At this point, Washington had been receiving information of varying value from a number of individual spies. They worked independently with no real guidance. The following month, though, the British won the Battle of Brooklyn and forced Washington to withdraw. At this point, he asked William Heath and George Clinton. No, not the same guy from Parliament Funkadelic. I mean, he's old, but he's not that old. Anyway, Washington asked these two guys to set up what he called a channel of communication on Long Island, but he didn't try to establish any permanent agents behind enemy lines yet. Instead, Heath and Clinton accepted volunteers for espionage missions. One of these volunteers was a 21-year-old army captain named Nathan Hale. Hale's cover story was that of a Dutch school teacher looking for work, as I'm sure you remember from history class. The British discovered his real identity. How is still a matter of some debate. And, as is the fate of most captured spies, executed him by hanging on September 22, 1776. With Hale's execution, and the fact that the British had, that same month, seized New York City, Washington realized he would need a better organized and far more discreet spy system. He decided on using civilians rather than soldiers for spying, because he believed civilians would attract less attention. You know they'd blend in. Washington asked William Dewar, a member of the Continental Congress representing New York, to recommend a possible agent. Dewar recommended Nathaniel Sackett. Washington hired him and made Captain Benjamin Talmage his army contact. By the way, Talmadge had been a classmate of Nathan Hale at Yale before the war. Sackett had some success. Perhaps his best piece of intel was that the British were constructing flat bottom boats for a move on Philadelphia. But you know, Washington was never truly happy with the information he was providing. He felt it contained too many errors and oftentimes didn't even arrive in a timely enough fashion to be acted upon. So, Sackett was sacked. Early in 1777 Washington had Colonel Elias Dayton establish a spy network on Staten Island that worked with a local network that was already in place. It was able to provide good information. In September of that year the British defeated the American forces at the Battle of Brandywine leading to the capture of Philadelphia by the end of the month. Washington tasked Major John Clark with setting up a spy network there, which also met with success. And that now brings us to Washington's big spy network, the Culper Ring. Remember, the British had been occupying New York City since September of 76, and it had become their main, like political and military base operations. Because of this, it also became a refuge for loyalist supporters. Consequently, this is where Washington wanted to focus his intelligence gathering. In August of 1778, Lieutenant Caleb Brewster, who was based in Connecticut, offered to spy. His first report to Washington gave detailed information about the condition of the British Navy and troop movements leading up to the Battle of Rhode Island. Washington was impressed with the information and put his Chief of Intelligence, General Charles Scott, in charge of running Brewster and finding more agents. Helping Scott would be Talmadge. In reality, Talmadge did most of the actual work of setting up this new network. As a contact for Brewster, Talmadge thought that maybe a childhood friend of his, Abraham Woodall, would be a good choice. Woodall lived in Setauket on Long Island, but the problem was that at that time he was actually in a Connecticut prison. It seems he was involved in some illegal trading. With Washington's approval, Talmadge pulled some strings with the governor of Connecticut and got Woodhull out of prison. Washington even suggested the alias Woodhull should use, Samuel Culper, which was a play on Culpeper County, Virginia. That's where George had worked as a surveyor in his youth. And thus was born the Culper Ring. General Scott resigned as Chief of Intelligence at the end of October, 1778, and Talmadge replaced him, now being fully in charge of running this new spy ring. Initially, the Culper Ring worked like this. Every few weeks, Woodhull would travel from his home in Setauket on Long Island to New York City. He had a married sister, Mary Underhill, living there, so he had a valid excuse if he should be stopped by the British, or if his frequent comings and goings should come to their attention. After gathering information from various agents, Woodhull would return to Setucket where he would meet up with Caleb Brewster and pass him the information. Brewster would use his whaleboat to cross Long Island Sound to Fairfield, Connecticut, where he delivered the intel to Talmadge, who was stationed there. From there, Talmadge would send it on to Washington. Talmadge could also use this network in reverse if he wanted to send any messages to Woodhull. In December of 1778 one of the logistical shortcomings of the ring was fixed. Up to that time it would be Woodhull himself bringing the information from New York City back to his home in Setauket. That's a journey of about 55 miles so he'd spend a lot of time traveling back and forth. To speed things up and make the operation more efficient, Woodall began using couriers to carry the messages. And to increase the security of the operation, Brewster began to use six different secluded little coves along the shore at which to land his whaleboat and meet up with the courier. Now, there's a legend on Long Island about a woman named Anna Strong and the role she played in the Culper Ring. The story goes that she was a neighbor of Woodhull, which she verifiably was, and that she handled the communications between the couriers and Brewster. Back then, far before the time of clothes dryers, everyone hung their laundry out on a clothesline to dry. Because this was an everyday occurrence, the British would think nothing of it so it was a great way to send coded signals right out in the open. When she hung a black petticoat, it was a signal to the courier that Brewster had arrived and was waiting for the information. She'd also hang between one and six handkerchiefs next to it, indicating which of the six secluded coves Brewster was using so the courier could go meet up with them. Did this really happen? Well. Unfortunately, we can't verify the story for sure, but I'd like to believe it's true. What we do know is that there was an unnamed female member of the Culper Ring who went by the code name 355, and furthermore, British records indicate they suspected a Setauket woman of espionage activities, but they couldn't identify her. Things went well for Woodhull and the Culper Ring until June of 1779. Early that month, British troops arrested a man named John Wolsey for being an American privateer. That meant he had a commission from the Continental Congress to attack and capture enemy merchant ships. In essence, he was basically a government-sponsored pirate of sorts. Anyway, Wolsey tried to talk his way out of trouble by ratting out Woodhall, And though he couldn't provide the British with any proof or specifics, He said enough to convince the British that Woodhull was up to no good and should be investigated. Consequently, a detachment of troops were sent to Setauket to look for Woodhull. He was, fortunately, in New York City at this time. But the troops did find his father, Richard, whom they attacked and actually beat up. Ouch! What saved Woodhull from arrest was a loyalist militia colonel named Benjamin Floyd. He talked to the British and vouched for Woodhull. Floyd did this because he was married to one of Woodhull's relatives, so it was basically to help a family member out. He had no idea about the spying. Now, even though Woodhull avoided arrest, it was clear that he couldn't continue spying in New York City, and he informed Talmadge of this, but he also told Talmadge that he had lined up a new agent to replace him. This new agent was Robert Townsend, and Woodhull gave him the alias Samuel Culper Jr. (laughs) He owned a tailor shop in New York City, which was a perfect cover for him because he had numerous British officers as clients. On top of that, he wrote a society column in a Loyalist newspaper and was part owner of a coffee house with the newspaper's owner, James Rivington. By the way, Rivington himself was one of the informants the Culper Ring frequently used. With Townsend working in the city, Woodhull spent his time operating out of his home in Setauket. He revamped the ring's communications network. Townsend would still send messages by courier but now that courier would pass the intel to Woodhull by using a dead drop. There was a hidden box in a field that Woodhull owned and the courier would leave the message there. Woodhill would then later retrieve it, and pass it on to Brewster, and from there to Talmadge, just like they had been doing. The use of a dead drop just added another layer of security to protect the ring. And speaking of security, one of the reasons the Culper Ring was so successful was because they took their security so seriously. None of them wanted to be the next Nathan Hale. Security was so tight, that Washington himself didn't even know the names of all the operatives and he didn't want to Washington also encouraged the sending of messages in what he called sympathetic stain to us we would call it invisible ink it was an acidic solution made from things like lime juice milk vinegar some people say that John Jay's brother James invented it for the Americans but That's debatable because similar solutions were used well before this time. A message using the solution could be written in the spaces between the lines of an innocent letter. And when the solution died, it obviously became invisible. To read the invisible ink, one simply had to hold the paper over a candle and the heat would make the writing visible again. You just had to make sure you didn't catch the letter on fire. On top of this, by July of 1779, Talmage had created a complete codebook, giving numbers to over 700 people, places, common nouns, verbs, other terms that the ring used. For example, 219 stood for gun, 223 meant gold. Washington himself was 711. And remember what I said before the unknown woman operative, maybe Anna Strong, was 355. There were only four copies of this code book which were held by washington talmage woodhull and townsend and the book itself was quite small so it could be easily burned or destroyed in an emergency so how successful was the Culper ring the answer very successful they provided washington with crucial intelligence throughout the war among some of their biggest discoveries are these uncovering a British plan to crash the American economy by printing counterfeit currency, the British constructing boats for a planned move on Connecticut, a planned British ambush of the French fleet as it was to arrive at Rhode Island, and in 1780, they were the ones to unmask the war's most infamous traitor, Benedict Arnold. Remember him? Old Benny Arnold did a deal with the British to surrender the garrison at West Point, a rather crucial position on the Hudson. He did this for a payment of 20,000 pounds. This was set up through Britain's top spy, Major John Andre, who happened to be a family friend of Arnold's wife. And while Arnold managed to escape capture and make his way to Britain, Andre was captured with the detailed plan hidden in his boot. And what happens to captured spies, they're executed. You know, Actually, Washington was a bit unnerved executing Andre due to his high rank and nobility, but he did it nonetheless, saying a captured spy had to be sentenced accordingly. Andre asked for a firing squad, but Washington refused and had him hanged. A little payback for Nathan Hale, perhaps? So all in all, the Culper ring certainly contributed to the American victory with all the quality intelligence they provided. Yeah, there were other spies during the war, some operating alone, others in similar yet smaller rings, but the tale of them is another story. And there you have it kind listeners. Thank you for tuning in. You know, if you like this episode, please tell your friends. And I look forward to talking with you again in our next episode.